Our scripture reading for this morning continues in the Gospel of Matthew, verses 13 through 16. Would you prepare your heart and mind for the reading of this holy text? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but out on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most uh, pastors go through a process of higher education called seminary. And seminary is a time where you go and, and study the Old Testament, the New Testament, church history, et cetera, et cetera. And I went to seminary back in 2001 through 2004. It took about three years. Uh, for some people, it takes a little longer. Uh, Pastor Maggie is in seminary right now, part-time, doing some distance education. And she and I both are, are Duke students. So I graduated. She's at Duke right now. When I was there, we uh, were living on campus. We were engaged in learning. And because we were sort of full-time students there, we got to participate in some of the fun things that went on. So you know that Duke basketball is a big deal, of course, and we had to camp out for tickets over the course of one whole weekend. And it was, it was horrible because the Duke divinity students couldn't afford anything. We just had tents. Some of us just wore rain suits just in case it rained. But the business and law and medical school students had RVs, they had Playstations, they had loudspeak, they just, they had a lot of fun. Anyway, we would sometimes also participate in the graduate programs in intramural sports. And so we had a flag football team from the Divinity School and we played against those same schools. The math school was really easy to beat. Um, but, but, um, we also played against the law school, the business school, etc. And we had a ringer. We had a college quarterback. Now he was from Emory and Henry College, a little tiny college, but he was a college quarterback. So we had a ringer on our team. Well, we were playing, I can't remember if it was the business school or the law school, but it, we were evenly matched. And we had a young woman on our team she was going to be a, a United Methodist pastor one day. She was in school to become a pastor. And there she was on our team. She was on the defensive line. She sacked the quarterback twice in a row. They didn't like that. And so they pulled two of their receivers back to block her. And now this, this young woman, this, this sort of petite young woman, sort of became animated at this point. And she said, you need two people to block me? What's wrong? You can't handle a girl? And she just kept sort of harassing them. And it's called trash talking. And, and, and I, th I started thinking, oh my goodness. I mean, is she representing Jesus right now? 
what do they think about us and all this? Well, it just kept going. And, and anyway, long story short, this woman, I married her. Um, <laughs> that's my wife. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, besides that, that intramural football uh, issue, she is really somebody who represents Christ well, I believe. And I'm not forced to say that. Um, but, you know, she works at Birmingham Southern College. She is the chaplain. She is there with students holding their hands as they are praying over a big test that's coming up or spending time with them when they're dealing with anxiety or leaving home for the first time. She's known as someone that will give her time and her resources and her energy to anyone who has need. And so and it makes me think about how sometimes we as Christians can live the life, we can walk the walk, we can talk the talk and do well and make an impact and make a difference, but also sometimes we don't do that. We fail at that. We don't take the opportunities that God puts before us. How we live and how we act, what we say and what we do is all very, very important, mainly because other people are watching. Other people see us, other people observe us. Whether or not we realize it or not, we are visible in the world. Let me tell you a cool story that happened just this morning. We had vacation Bible school and we had some summer camps and there were children from our community that were here and were loved on and cared for. They had a good experience. This very morning in our early service, one of those five-year-olds and his family came to church and they told us that while they were driving in, now this is a kid who has come only to vacation Bible school and sports. As they turned into the church this morning, the five-year-old said, that's my church. What we do, what we say, how we treat other people matters even when we don't realize they're paying attention. Even a five-year-old, even a five-year-old can notice these things. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which we're, we're preaching on this, this fall, Jesus talks to the people listening to him about the kind of lives that they should live. And, and we're just barely into the Sermon on the Mount. We are at the very beginning of chapter 5. Last Sunday, we started with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, etc., Today, we have this small little text that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew before going on to talk about other ethics. How do we handle ourselves according to the law of God? And in this small little text in between those two, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. Now, I want you to realize Jesus is talking to all of us through the gospel, but also we need to remember who was Jesus talking to then? It's very important. If you were here last week, you know this. Jesus at this point in the gospel of Matthew has only called four of his 12 disciples. Simon Peter and Andrew, who are brothers, James and John, who are brothers. Those are the only four disciples that Jesus has called to follow him. Everyone else that is listening to him 
at the Sermon on the Mount, sitting on that hillside or that mountainside by the Sea of Galilee are people from the, the small villages, the fishing villages, the poor villages around the Sea of Galilee. He is teaching mainly to people that are poor, who are sick, who are not included in the most important circles of their society. They are forgotten. They are overlooked. They don't seem that important to anyone else. And Jesus is looking at these four fishermen and all these other so-called forgotten, unworthy people and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of of the world. And if any important person heard Jesus say this, they would probably think in their minds, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way these people can be salt and light. In fact, some of the people that heard it may have thought, how in the world can I be that? How can I make a difference in the world? Just little old me. And yet Jesus says it. He doesn't say you will become the salt of the earth. He doesn't say you will become the light of the world. He says you already are. Just by following Jesus, by, by publicly following Jesus, by being someone who is in the line of learning and worshiping him, we become salt and light. Once people realize we go to church, we are salt and we're light. And how we are salt and light, matters greatly. Now, why salt and light? Why do these words become part of what Jesus is saying? Salt at that time was an important seasoning, of course. It made food taste better. Sometimes they didn't have all the wonderful ingredients that we have today. Back 2,000 years ago, some of the food was maybe a little bland and, and, and salt made it more palatable. But salt had another important, important use. In fact, it was so important that they would sometimes, the Roman government would sometimes pay their soldiers in salt. Can you believe that? Have, have you ever been excited to get a box of Morton salt and said, thank you, this is wonderful. This is better than money. But back then they did that. And, and you know, it's tied salt to the word salary. They're connected because of this historical connection. Paid in salt. Why were they paid in salt? They didn't have refrigeration back then. In order to make things like meat last longer, they had to salt it. And that would keep some of the microbes that would decay the food away. So salt was important because it kept food that you needed to eat good for longer. It was valuable. Salt gave seasoning to things to make it better, and it also preserved the things that needed to be preserved. What about light? Light was important because there was no electricity. It, once it became dark, it was dark. They didn't have anything other than candles and lamps, usually oil lamps, sometimes olive oil. And that would burn at night to make it light so they, they could see what was going on. They could see around them. When the darkness enclosed in on them, light was a godsend. It allowed them to see. So salt and light, those make sense when we think about it, that salt gives flavor to life. It makes things taste better. It makes the world better. In fact, do you know in the Psalms, it says, taste and see the Lord is good. 
Sometimes when, when you would get that little prepackaged communion and you would taste that little wafer and you would think, oh, God is not good, right? When we have real bread, God is good, right? And when we use King's Hawaiian bread, God is really good. <laughs> God is good. When we taste the good, we associate God with good. That's what Jesus is saying. When, when you are salt and you give flavor to life, when you preserve the good things in the world and you don't allow the world to dip into decay and hopelessness, when you can be salt that preserves God in the world, you make it better. When the world is dark and you can be a ray of hope and light, things are better. And when things are better, people are more willing to turn to God because God is good. When we are good, people believe God is good. Salt and light. If we are those things, then we make a difference. In the paraphrase Bible called the message, this is how this passage, Matthew 5, 16 ends. By opening up to others, you will prompt other people to open up with God, our generous Father in heaven. As you open up to others, as you are salt and light to other people, you will help them open up to God, their Father, our Father. Being salt and light is not about being the best salt you can be and the best light you can be. It's about what you do. It has a purpose. It has a mission. And when Jesus was talking to those people back then, and even now today, when Jesus is saying, you are salt and you are light, it's not that you're already perfect at what you're doing. He says, this is your job. This is who you are. If you follow me, you are going to be salt and light. You already are, and you can even become better. Now, if we don't do it, if we fail to follow through on that, the world suffers. Other people suffer. So you see, we're instrumental in God's plan, in God's mission. If we are salt and light, we can make an influence in the world around us and help other people find their way to God as well. We are not salt so that we can benefit from being salt. We are salt for the sake of others. You're not just salt, you are the salt of the earth. And if you are salt of the earth, then you are for the earth. You are the light of the world. You're not just light, you are light for everyone because the world needs that light. Do you see the connection? It's salt for a purpose. It is light for a purpose. Each of us has a purpose and that purpose is to make a difference in our relationships, in our friendships, by what we say and by what we do. Because people are watching whether we realize it or not. John Maxwell is an author and a, a leadership guru. And one of the things that he says is that Christians are the people who paint the best picture of God for the world. And I love that image. Being salt and light sort of makes sense to us, but then start thinking of yourself as an artist. Some of us barely got on our parents' uh, fridge, right? Our fridge art from school. Some of us barely got there. Some of us, it was easy. We're good artists. We're artists, and by our words and our actions, we paint a picture of God for the world. This is what Maxwell is saying. 
that we become, in a way, this sort of preview or this example of who God is. Whether we want that job or not, it's not up to us because Jesus says, you're salt and you're light. So our job is to paint as beautiful a picture as we possibly can. I don't know, some of you probably have been there, the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican, in Italy. Some of you have walked through there and you've seen the painting on the ceiling. You probably know this, but Michelangelo painted with a group of people the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. One of the pictures is the creation of Adam. Beautiful picture. And it's lasted over 500 years. And there are other pictures that Michelangelo and his team painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It took them four years. They built scaffolding. Now, some people believe that Michelangelo laid on his back on the scaffolding and painted that way. And that's not apparently the way it happened. In fact, he was on the scaffolding, but he was standing and painting painstakingly like that for four years. Now, what you need to know about Michelangelo is he didn't really want to do this. (laughs) He didn't want to paint the Sistine Chapel. Uh, Pope Julius asked him to. He got him off of another project where he was actually sculpting out of marble because that's what Michelangelo was good at. He was a sculptor. Some of you have seen his statue of David. Beautiful. And yet here he is outside of his normal abilities, his normal skill set, his normal area of expertise. And he paints a picture of scripture, of God. And it's beautiful and it's lasted, again, over 500 years. Beautiful. Millions of people still walk through the Sistine Chapel every year to look up and be inspired by his work. And he didn't even feel confident in himself. He didn't even believe he could do it and do a good job. He even has letters to other artists where he's essentially saying, pray for me because I don't think I'm doing a good job. And yet, he painted a beautiful picture of God. Friends, I think that's part of what we're called to do and who we're called to be. As best as we can, whether we're a master painter or whether we are still on paint by numbers. We're called to paint as beautiful a picture of God as we can with our words and our actions. We are the salt of the earth, salt that gives flavor and makes things better. We are the light of the world to shine a light of hope into the world. If we sit on the sidelines, we're not really being salt. We're not really shining our light. But if we get on that defensive line and taunt, uh, we don't do that. Uh, But if we get into the game and we live by our words and our actions and we let those glorify God, who knows how many other people will find their way to him? How will you paint a picture of the wonderful God that loves us and creates us and calls us to be his own? How will your life echo and reverberate God's love and grace to everyone you meet? Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we ask that you would continue to use us 
to enable us, to gift us, to bless us with the abilities and also the heart and the opportunities to be a blessing, to be salt, to be light. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.